A content management system, or CMS, defines how the content of a website is arranged and presented. The most widely used CMS is WordPress, the open source tool that is written in PHP. A large percentage of the web consists of WordPress sites, and WordPress has a huge ecosystem of plugins and templates. Despite the success of WordPress, the Jamstack represents the future of web development. Jam stands for JavaScript, APIs, and markup. In contrast to the monolithic WordPress deployments, a Jamstack site consists of loosely coupled components, and there are numerous options for a CMS in this Jamstack world. Tina CMS is one such option. Tina CMS is an acronym for Tina is not a CMS, and it's a toolkit for content management. Scott Gallant, Jordan Patterson, and Nolan Phillips work on Tina CMS, and they join the show to explore the topic of content management on the Jamstack. Scott, Jordan, and Nolan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us, Jeff. We're really happy to be here. So, content management systems. For me, the world of content management systems starts with WordPress, just because of how dominant WordPress has been in the consumer ecosystem. Scott, give me a short history of the evolution of content management systems since WordPress. Oh, well, okay, since WordPress, that's really interesting. I have a, a certain opinion about C CMSs or content management systems in that I think we've seen little innovation since WordPress. Like WordPress, you're right, they kind of have dominated the consumer space mostly because it was an open source project that's just proliferated among developers. And then it just got used. It's really flexible, of course, and it's been used for all sorts of websites. However, you know, I feel like since the early 2000s, when WordPress took off, we've seen little innovation in terms of like what CMSs can do. And one of the most recent interesting innovations is this idea of the headless CMS. And Jeff, I'm sure you've heard of this, but I can, I'm happy to explain it briefly for some of your listeners. A headless CMS just kind of opens up an API on top of your content. So you use WordPress to input API, you fill out those form fields and write some markdown, or not markdown, in this case would be, you know, WYSIWYG blog post, saves it to the WordPress uh, database, it's now available via API, and, you know, your front, your kind of modern front end can query that API and pull it back. And so there are a bunch of headless CMSs that take this approach, Contentful being one, Sanity being one, Strapi being one, WordPress and Drupal both do this now. And essentially, like every CMS is becoming a headless CMS, where they, where there's a, they're being decoupled from the site itself, and it's more just talking directly to the content and exposing it via API. I would say like that's a really quick history of CMSs. There are a whole bunch of these things, um, but this is a big milestone. And from what I can tell, the motivation for that move towards the headless CMS is largely around the fact that front-end tooling has gotten really, really good, and it's becoming easier and easier to build custom website experiences. I think a lot of this is probably due to React just becoming so dominant and such a large and increasingly easy-to-use 
ecosystem. Uh, what's what's your thesis on the rise of the headless CMS? Okay, so well, we built this headless CMS called Forestry.io, and uh, it's slightly different in that it it really interacts with content that's in Markdown in your Git repository. But let me tell you how we stumbled on that, and and I think it's indicative of the the greater trend. So this is like maybe four or five years ago, Jordan and I, who Jordan, who's our CTO and my co-founder and who's on this call, Jordan and I were driving one day and I was telling him that I was building a website for my friend, Emily. She ran a restaurant and Jordan said, oh, what are you going to use to build a site? And at the time I was, I was, you know, comfortable using WordPress for sites like this, but I just said, oh, I don't want to use WordPress. I don't want to have to deal with like plugin updates or maybe a hacked site in a year from now or two years. I, you know, this is just a restaurant website. I want to build it statically and I want to throw it in an S3 bucket and just forget about it. But I can't, right? Because, you know, there was no tooling around this whole static site paradigm at the time. Netlify didn't really exist. Site didn't exist. Um, AWS was becoming a thing for web developers. But the problems that I was touching on was like, I don't want to run and manage a LAMP stack, you know, server in the cloud one, and two, I wanted to use a modern front-end framework. At the time, I wanted to use a static uh, site generator like Jekyll or Hugo, and I didn't want to build with this like PHP thing. So I think what's driving this movement is, one, developers want to use modern front-end tooling, and two, we don't want to have to set up like this big monolithic application just to power our websites. When we know they can be built statically or server-rendered and, de- and delivered really optimally, you know, through CDNs to the client. And the experience of using a uh, a headless CMS together or, or, or even just your... Actually, I'd just like to get the spectrum of experiences there. So if I am using some decoupled system instead of using a monolithic system like WordPress or like Drupal... What are the frictions there? Like, if I take away the monolithic experience where I can easily manage user roles and and posts and plugins and all these things that come with the WordPress ecosystem that's made the WordPress ecosystem so sticky, what frictions result from that decoupled ecosystem? Okay, yeah, this is this is a perfect segue into another project that we announced recently called Tina CMS. I'm of the opinion that the biggest friction point for this new headless paradigm is that the content is so decoupled from the code that the authoring experience is kind of broken. So if you use a headless CMS, you're inputting content into forward fields and you click save and you're like, all right, you're just kicking it over the fence and you're hoping that's going to look good. You can't really see the context of what you're doing. Whereas, you know, the olden days with WordPress, you'd have a preview button and it would you click preview and it would say, okay, here's like the stuff that you're working on. This is what it looks like, you know, your blog post or whatever. Now things are really decoupled and we, we often lose that previewing experience. And there are ways to bake that into your CMS now, but it's kind of a clunky experience. And sometimes it takes like minutes to build your site in order to preview it. And it's just problematic. So we've got, gained all these developer benefits, you know, like, Choosing the front end frameworks that you that you like, you said often React, um, where we get structured content, we get get backed content often. You get, you can deliver your site via CDN, but we lose like this authoring experience, this kind of fundamental thing that's uh, needed for the editing and authoring experience, which is why we built and launched this project called Tina CMS, which is a which is kind of a very different approach to content management, and we're convinced it's the future of content management. 
Okay. Well, before we get there, I'd like to talk more about the broader ecosystem and things that have happened since WordPress. So we have the evolution of the CMS, but we also have the evolution of the site builder, which is a different class of tool. This is the Wix, Squarespace, Weebly kind of tool. How does usage of those tools compare to usage of a CMS? So when this is how we view it is, okay, when like the way Weebly's and Wix's and Squarespace's of the world aren't really optimized for the developer experience. Like we don't bring those into our teams because they're a, it's like Wix is a black box. You know, you don't know what you're getting out the other end. You can't extend it. Uh, you know, you can't, it's limiting to a developer who knows how to build a system. So we don't use those in our teams or we don't put those in front of our clients often. And we use a CMS because what a CMS gives us is the flexibility to you know control the what's under the hood. So with something like open source WordPress, you know you know you can extend it with plugins. You're not you're not locked into this one solution that you don't don't have any insight into. So the the tools like Squarespace, Wix, Weebly, Webflow, etc. These builder solutions they're all very sophisticated and 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 they're great authoring experiences. You know a handy person can create great and stunning content and using these tools, but developers can't work with those systems. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And the far other end of the spectrum, you do have these kinds of workflows, like I create a static site in in Jekyll or Hugo, and I put it on S3, make it statically available, or I upload it to Netlify. And this is more of the Jamstack style of development. Give me an overview of how the Jamstack has become a common application pattern and how that relates to CMS infrastructure. Okay, so like this is the whole reason why we built Forestry to begin with was because there wasn't a content management system for maybe Jamstack sites like Jekyll and Hugo like, uh, like you're suggesting here. This is back in, you know, 20, we kind of launched Forestry in 2016. So the connection is that there's like, okay, now us develop, developers, we have this like little application we run on our laptop where we, that compiles markdown files and templates into outputted HTML, which is your website. The question is, is like, how do you get, let other people in on the fun? How do you let a non-developer edit that kind of stuff? And this is where what what led us to solving this problem with forestry, where we said, okay, just point us to your GitHub repo. We know what Markdown looks like. We'll parse that and build a, a WordPress style UI for it. And you know, we don't really need to know what your website templates are, but if you want a previewing functionality, we need to know that too. We're familiar with how these projects are structured, like Jekyll and Hugo, uh, Gatsby, Next.js, etc. So we can build essentially a WordPress-like UI on top of this new paradigm of uh, static site generators or the Jamstack. And then so we began doing that. Netlify CMS was uh, launched soon after we did. And then a number of our other people do this too. And it, we're essentially applying like traditional content management systems to this new way to organize your code and content for the Jamstack. Right. So, so Netlify... They have some CMS tool. Netlify, for people who don't know, is a hosting site that has 
more or less become the de facto Jamstack hosting platform. There's also Zite. I think Zite has has done a good job also. Netlify really has the more popular one. So what is the experience of somebody who is using the Netlify CMS approach? What were the, I guess, breakthroughs that Netlify had? With Netlify CMS or Netlify the hosting platform? Netlify CMS. Yeah, so Netlify CMS is a pretty brilliant project. It's just like a JavaScript application that's in your browser and interacts with the GitHub API. Um, They may support other, other Git providers too now, but I think... For a long time, it was initially GitHub. And much like Forestry, you just drop this thing into your site, and then you can edit your co- these markdown files and have those edits show up as commits on your repo. So, you know, it's it's an open source project. It's a like a JavaScript React-based admin for your content that interacts with the GitHub API. One kind of limitation that, that we found with Netlify CMS that we overcame with Forestry is this ab- ability to have like multiplayer mode. So, you know, if you're logged into the CMS on your site and it's just committing to the GitHub API and there's no real backend behind any of this, uh, you can, it's possible to trip up and have merge conflicts and that kind of stuff. With Forestry, there's actually a backend and everything is rooted through our backend. And Jordan knows more about this, but we handle, uh, you know, we prevent, do things to prevent merge conflicts. So you can have like larger teams editing content that's in your Git repo. But yeah, Netlify CMS is a, like a pretty lightweight open source project in the Jamstack, and it's pretty brilliantly architected. Now, if we think about using GitHub as a backend for your content management, in contrast to WordPress, you know, WordPress, every WordPress installation, I believe by default, has a MySQL instance that it gives you. So you're plugging your, you're, you're putting your, the tables of, your blog posts into MySQL. If we're using GitHub as the backend instead of a MySQL database, what implications does that have on the architecture of a CMS? Yeah, so with Forestry, again, with these static site generators, you've got typically uh, content files with what's called front matter at the top where meta information is stored. And with forestry, what we do is we interpret those files, we read them, and then allow you to create what we call front matter templates that define what the data types are for those for the front matter. So instead of instead of the content being stored in the database, it ends up being stored in a flat file in your GitHub repository. Now along with that, since it's Git, you get automatic version control, the ability to roll back changes. Uh, you can see exactly who changed what, when, and all sorts of things like that. And is there anything wrong with just using files instead of using an actual database instance? In the case of static sites, I don't think there, I don't think it's a, an issue because these are all pre-rendered, right? They're built beforehand. So those, those static files are taken, compiled into a website, and then deployed, they're not read at uh, runtime, they're read at build time. So there's no, there's no like file system bottleneck that you might expect. And that does get at one of the differences between the static site generation workflow and, you know, a, a, an application like, you know, just a naive WordPress installation where you're not pre-rendering everything. Um, so... In the static site generation workflow, 
um if if i want to have a more dynamically uh dynamically interactive uh application like a, a dynamically interactive cms where users can interact with it uh more readily how does that compare to just a a you know static site generate generated CMS that you know I can just run when whenever I like whenever I add a blog post I can just generate a new version of the static site. If you have actual like other users that are a multiplayer mode kind of CMS experience, um, d- do you have to regenerate the entire site every time some multiplayer some other user comes in and makes a change to the site? Yeah, you do, and it, it is a it is a bit of an issue. Um, with most of the static site generators. Um, Hugo is kind of is a bit of an exception there because it's, it's so fast to build. Um, but with most of the JavaScript-based site generators, um, there's, there's, no, there's no ability to do incremental builds yet. Um, I think Gatsby is working on that. Um, but you do have to regenerate the entire site and then as far as deploying, you can deploy it like a differential, but yeah. Got it. So we've given some context for this landscape. There is a lot of change going on. There's new hosting companies. The React ecosystem's advancing quickly. You've got headless CMS companies like Contentful. You've got these new static site generation uh, products like Gatsby. You've got a, a new React-based framework like Next.js. There's a lot of change going on. So I want to start centering the conversation around Tina CMS and Forestry and what you guys are building in this uh, changing ecosystem. So let's start with what Tina CMS is and what it is not. So it's not a CMS. It's a toolkit for content management. Why did you call Tina CMS a CMS if it's not a CMS? Did you? Yeah. So you're referring to the acronym of Tina. Are you familiar with that stands? Uh, that stands for? Oh, I actually don't know what Tina stands for. Tina's a, a, a recursive acronym. Do you know what that means, Jeff? Yeah. 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 Like GNU, not Unix. Um, so we're not going to tell you. Oh, Tina. Tina is not a CMS. <laughs> I get it. Okay. All right. I get it. T I N A. Oh, that was a test you just passed. Um, I think Nolan might be the best person to uh, take this one away. Yeah, so as we kind of mentioned, there's sort of a few different stages of content management where we started off with WordPress where the entire website was built on your CMS. Um, The display of the content and the content management were all put together in one. And then you have the headless CMS, where it's still um, this running application that you use to edit your content, but that part of it is separated from your website. You're editing your content using a different application than what you're building your website with. And we say that Tina is not a CMS because it's not really either of those first two things. It looks a little bit on the outside more like WordPress um, where you would, your editing experience is baked into your site. But the key difference is with WordPress, you're building your website on top of WordPress. And with Tina, you're, you're building the CMS into your website. 
We provide a set of tools that make it easy for you to build those editing interfaces directly into your website so that it's not really a separate application. Your website itself becomes the content management system. So this is pretty cool because if I think about most blogs on a company, so like I go to, like I did an interview recently with a company called LogRocket, and they have a link to the blog in the header. I click on the blog and it takes me to a part of the site that probably is a part of the site, but it looks like it's kind of different. It looks like it's maybe they're using Ghost, which is a blogging tool, uh, or it could be a WordPress thing. I think it's Ghost or or one of these other um, kind of next generation blogging systems. But nonetheless, it, it does not feel heavily integrated with the rest of the site. It feels like this different part of the website, which is which is okay, because like I'm just reading blog content, right? Why does it matter if this blog is essentially dis- disconnected from the rest of the site? It's it's not just that the blog is disconnected, it's that the editing experience for the blog is disconnected. So if I want to create a new blog post for release notes on uh, Tina CMS, then I don't go to some separate application. I'm actually going to tinacms.org slash blog, clicking the uh, edit button, and now I'm looking at the blog post as as it will look when it's published to, uh, when it's actually published. I'm not seeing a representation of what my blog will look like. It's not really, it's really a WYSIWYG, like what you see is what you get, not just what you see is sort of like what you're going to get. So Jeff, just to use an example, on the Software Engineering Daily website, I saw that you have podcasts and you have blogs and different categories of content. So if you, you know, when it comes time for you to add this show, this show to your website, say you had Tina installed, you would just go to your public website, go to bot podcasts, click login, and then add new podcast. And you're basically looking at a, an empty page on your website where you start filling out the title, writing either your show notes, et cetera, et cetera, right on your, on your page and not in a separate admin. And this is all built on top of like the develop a developer friendly world of you know using modern front end tooling on the Jamstack. So we t- we think of it as building like a world class editing experience on top of a world class development development framework or development experience. Right. Like if I think about the experience of of using Medium to create a blog, if I'm writing my blog post in Medium, the blog post ends up looking very much like it appears in my editor whereas in wordpress if i'm writing a blog post i'm doing it in this in this editing experience it, it, it's kind of a cramped experience like if i'm like i do most of my my creative work in google docs and then i copy paste it to wordpress which is not a a, a wonderful experience and ideally it would be more of a like a WYSIWYG kind of experience, like what you get, and that's what you get out of uh, like Wix or, or or Weebly or Squarespace, where you you can kind of see more intimately what your content is going to look like as you're typing it. Now, that seems kind of tricky because you have to essentially embed a content editor along with the other live components of the website. So, what are the difficult engineering problems in making that happen? It's a pretty challenging problem. There's kind of 
two aspects of it, which is how do I actually make that interface editable? And then how do we actually save this data? The first side is with, with React components. And we've spent a lot of time building out, in a, building out React components and APIs that make it easy to embed content into your page and make that content editable. Our intention is always to make it so, you know, there's some default styling along with that. So you can jump in and get it going really fast. But if you need to, you can kind of extend that and modify the styles to best suit your website. The other side of it is figuring out how do you actually save that data somewhere. So it needs to get saved. And that's probably one of the bigger challenges that we've had. One approach that we're pretty excited about right now is Next.js uh, 9.3 released a preview functionality. So with Next.js, it's kind of a hybrid framework. Whenever you deploy an Next.js site, you can deploy both a static version of that site and a dynamic version. The static version is all pre-built, all the content is rendered to HTML, and it's served up statically on a CDN as usual. If you go to our website, you'll see this big edit site button. And when you click that, it switches that around. So you switch into preview mode, which essentially means instead of, instead of just hitting the, uh, the static cache, let's actually hit the API routes now. And when you do that, it makes it possible to add a little bit more dynamic behavior there. You can do authentication through a server request. You can set up a, a WebSocket connection to some other thing. We haven't fully explored what we can do with that, but this approach, this hybrid approach of having that static output, but also being able to fall back to a dynamic one to introduce some of that more dynamic behavior that you need for a content management system is uh, looking pretty promising. So if I want to turn my WordPress website into a more dynamically editable website, let's talk about what a workflow might look like. So, you know, I've already got this WordPress installation and it's monolithic. It's not a pleasure to work with, but it has the benefits of being monolithic and all there and it works and I can create new roles. And it's, it's, it's actually like, it's it's pretty good. It it's not perfect, but it's not great and you know, that's that's the story of WordPress. But if I wanted to have a completely clean approach and I wanted to move this entire content management system that's monolithic in WordPress towards this place where, you know, if we have the software engineering daily post about this episode, I can just click on component at a text paragraph in that post and edit it and have a live editing experience. That's obviously not going to be possible with the WordPress thing today. So if I wanted to, to actually migrate it, what would be my steps for doing that? If I wanted to migrate it to some other CMS platform, a more configurable, more non-monolithic CMS platform, what are the steps for doing that? I think there's kind of maybe two or three steps. Step one would be to stop using WordPress to generate your website. You could still use it for content management, but you instead use Gatsby or Nextdoor or Gridsum, any of those other static site generators to pull the content from your WordPress site and render it using one of these new tools. Um, 
if you're looking to have that really like on-page editing experience, then step two would be to put like use Tina CMS to put that editing capability into your website and set up the API so that when you hit save on those but on uh, in those forms, it saves back to WordPress. And in this case, like you don't like this is part of why Tina is not a CMS because you can use it with other CMSs. You could have Tina CMS um, powering the editing experience on that front end, giving you that awesome kind of Squarespace Wix style editing experience, but still have still be using the modern front end frameworks to build your website. And if you're still on WordPress, then you don't need to totally ditch it right away. So the new website that I would be building with using WordPress as my backend, I would have to build it in React components, I believe, and and use Gatsby as my way of doing pre-rendering of that site, of generating the statically statically generated version of my WordPress site. You know, Gatsby can connect to my WordPress backend and create all of the components that I need to have a full website experience. Um, And then if I wanted to add editability to the statically generated website, I could use Tina CMS or I could use Forestry? Tina and Forestry are are fairly different in the way they work. So Forestry would be more of a straight replacement for WordPress. You would be switching from WordPress to, to using Forestry and files in the in git as the storage medium got it so let's actually talk a little bit about the the story there so you guys started working or i guess nolan started with tina cms and uh at some point scott and jordan you both started working with nolan and then eventually tina cms and your work there evolved or was augmented by your work with forestry which is a company that you've actually built. So Tina CMS is the open source project and Forestry is a company that you guys have built. Can you give me the timeline for these different projects? Yeah, we. so like I said earlier, we launched Forestry in late 2016 and Forestry is more of like Nolan was just saying, a, 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 a CMS that is a CMS. You know, it, it stores your content. It's an editing admin that uh, writes to that content happens that that content happens to need happens to need to be stored in git when that's compared to something like say contentful or uh, sanity or you know wordpress th- those systems are writing content to a database forestry commits it to your git repository um, that was in, so we launched in 2016 and we built this whole thing we watched the jamstack kind of this whole sp- space evolve and blossom and like i was mentioning earlier one big problem we noticed is this disconnect between um, editing your content and writing it in a CMS admin and previewing your content because things have become so decoupled. And, uh, you know, we always had this vision of of where we're getting to now with Tina, of this vision of, you know, content editing should be much more like editing a Google Doc instead of editing like a WordPress site. And now think of your own case, Jeff. I thought I found it really interesting to say you write your you, a lot of your notes or your articles in Google Docs and copy and paste them over to WordPress. And that just tells me that like the CMS software you're using isn't good enough because you have to use another software to write it. 
and then you just copy and paste it and drop it into this thing. So, you know, we've always had this philosophy in, in, internally in the company that our vision for content management is much more like a Google Doc. Something that's just like a really great authoring experience on top of, a, a, you know, the proper development stack. And we did a hackathon at Forestry in 2019 where we said, hey, is it, would this be possible if we just focus on, like, say, the modern React frameworks now, like like Next and uh, Gatsby and, and just React? And at the end of this, you know, hackathon, we're like, hey, this is actually possible now. We should get this open source project out the door and, like, this is really in line with our vision. Let's launch this thing, which we launched at the Jamstack conference in October of 2019 in San Francisco. Let's get this thing out, out the door and build some community around it and get some momentum around this whole idea because it's quite a new paradigm. And eventually these roadmaps might merge where, you know, this live editing stuff could, could be opened up to all of the forestry users. Um, but for now, we just kind of blaze ahead and launch it as its own open source project. So Tina CMS came after forestry? A few years after, correct. Okay, interesting. And from a company perspective, what's the value in creating an open source content editing, content management system? So just be, yeah, before I answer that question, maybe I'll, I'll tell you that the, the mission for our company is we want to help people build a better web. And we don't say developers and we don't say content people. We just say people because we feel like that's like, you know, sometimes we build developer tooling and sometimes we build kind of the, these editing experiences. But it's all, it's it's like the workers of the web, we want to give them really good tools so we can strengthen the web and people can put out really good content and help educate the world. And we feel like from a, like the mission statement from our organization, it's a no-brainer to build an open source project. We, we, we really believe in open source. Can this be monetized in the future? Well, like, you know, in one way it's monetized now where it just generates uh, attention and people learn about our company and find out about, find out about forestry and pay us for forestry. So uh, I would say it's more or less in line with the mission statement than the business. Got it. So let's talk more about the co open content editing experience. So if I generate my static website using Gatsby, I take my WordPress blog, I have Gatsby replicated as this new nifty Gatsby site that I, you know, I maybe I've made all these React components and now it's just built purely from React components and it's much faster, it's much cleaner, it's all editable, you know, because I have, you know, built it myself from React components. What is the process for using Tina CMS? So if I use Tina CMS and I make it and I make open content editing. So I make, you know, I make it possible for different people to edit the generated static website. What is Tina CMS doing on my front end? Like, what's the the runtime experience in in the browser, and and also how how durable is it? Like, if I'm using Google Docs, for example, it's like auto saving all the time. I want to understand how that compares to my editing experience for this Gatsby editing site. Yeah, so this is a question that we're really in the throes of right now. And kind of the annoying answer is it sort of depends. As I mentioned earlier, you might have Tina talking to a WordPress backend. Well, Tina is sort of just the front end, the interface uh, builder side of it. And 
it depends a little bit on like what you're using as a backend that determines some of the details here. So it's hard to come up with a, a generic answer. Again, Tina is not really a standalone application that's running and doing this. It's a framework for helping you build this. If you're using Gatsby and the file system, then in that case, you'll have a kind of a staging server running. There's a number of people using Gatsby Cloud to do this. Some people have spun up their own staging servers. And Gatsby will be running in development mode. And as you're typing and you're making changes to your blog posts or your homepage or whatever, Tina ends up writing back to the file system. And by writing back to the file system, that will cause Gatsby to rebuild the site and update the previews uh, that you're looking at. What we're working on now is a slightly different approach where you have a Next.js site that is using this preview functionality we were talking about. With that functionality, there isn't really that file system writing. Instead of, instead of loading the content from the file system uh, to edit it, we fetch the content from the GitHub API. And any kind of intermediary changes are just rendered on the page immediately and kept in local storage to make sure that you don't lose them if you refresh the page. Then when you go to hit save, that will make a commit through the GitHub API to persist that change for everybody. And that's pretty good. Like, this is one thing some people may not know about browsers. I didn't know it until maybe a year ago that, and this is pretty naive, but if you're using a browser, you ha your browser has access to disk space. So your browser can write durable data to disk, you know, just like you're, you're using Microsoft Word on your computer and Microsoft Word is, is saving to disk. You can, your, your browser can access disk, disk storage. So if you were editing something in uh, in this application description that you just gave, then you can snapshot to disk. And if my browser crashes, you can have that data saved to disk and you can refresh it or, or uh, present it back to the user when the user opens back up the browser and navigates to the site. That, of course, doesn't protect your computer from spontaneously combusting, which is why we prefer to, to be saving to the cloud. We prefer the, the Google Docs connected kind of experience. But if you're using GitHub as a backend store, I'm not sure that the GitHub API would let you save as aggressively as you might want to. How flexible is the GitHub API there? Can you use it for this kind of like really aggressive backup? I'm not really sure that it would be appropriate for really aggressive backup. I'm talking, you know, backing up every second or something. I haven't spend a whole lot of time thinking about this problem in the full detail of it, but we know that there could be solutions for this down the road. If you're using some other service, maybe that keeps track of those kind of unsaved changes so you don't need to be committing back to the API all the time. But yeah, that's definitely a very difficult problem and one that is on our mind. It's one that we, uh, we did find a solution for with Forestry and... So we, we have some ideas, but at the moment, it's you're just using local storage as your, your storage mechanism. And again, if you're using, back to that uh, Gatsby example, where it's writing to the file system, well, it's writing to the file system, 
So the server, the any uncommitted changes are in your file system as just uncommitted changes. Just to expand on that a bit further, we also we have plans for or what we've been calling internally Tina Teams, which will provide like services like this. So we can act as an intermediary between the front end of Tina and whatever API you're saving content to and you know provide that kind of durability in between. Cool. And h- how do you expect this changing the market or how do you expect the market to change in the near future to your advantage. So like, you know, if I think about the online publishing experience today, it is very much this kind of like I give a user access to the WordPress publishing process and that user can then log in, they can publish a, a post, they can um, you know, make a new article. What predictions do you have about the way that the market is going to shift in the direction of people wanting a more uh, open content editing experience. Yeah, it I w- doesn't necessarily need to be open. If you're referring to that, uh, we published an article recently about open authoring, where if you want anybody to edit your, say, your documentation site, you can add Tina to your documentation site and integrate it with the GitHub API. So now, now say, you know, Joe from Texas can just go to your website and click edit and edit it kind of like a Google Doc and open a pull request right there from not from GitHub but from your live site. Um, that's open authoring and Tina isn't just for open authoring. It's for teams working on say internal sites or public marketing sites where they may not want the whole world accessing. But your question where do we see the where do we see like the the industry or the the content editing needs going? Like when we first put Tina on our our website like to to dog food it and test it internally and stuff. What we noticed was people, we are all creating content way more frequently because the friction is so low. So, you know, the barrier to editing content on our site is we just visit it and click add new blog post and start writing it right there. And, you know, you're, you're doing it in our case, we use Git as the storage medium. So, you know, you're doing it on your own branch and what we, what we found is just like, okay, content, as soon as we made this available to our own team, contra, content contributions went up like crazy. And now, because now everybody's all of a sudden writing blog posts and it's not this kind of convoluted process of you write it in Google Docs and you copy and paste it into WordPress and you try to like send somebody a link. It's much more fluid and more of a developer workflow. So we're, we think this that how this will impact web teams is that the friction will be so low that people will just be able to create more great content more easily on top of a really modern developer stack. Cool. Tell me more about the business of forestry. So what are the products that you have today and what are you hoping to build? Right. Okay. So forestry is a pretty traditional content management system. It's closed source and it talks to the to uh, your Git repo. So like I said before, you point it at your, your project and you say, hey, you know, my Jekyll site or my Gatsby site or my Next.js site is over in this repo. Make an edit- editable in- admin for me. So then Forestry goes ahead and does that. And now you can invite people. And if you go to our website, you'll see that, you know, there's some fairly big organizations using uh, Forestry. A few of them that are listed there are uh, MasterCard and Spotify and Sketch and, and there are others too. 
And these people need much more than that. You know, they, they have like security requirements and they have maybe teams of users that they manage and uh, just like, you know, bigger needs. And and with those things, they end up being in a, a premium plan at Forestry. And that's essentially how the, how the business works. We have a free we have a free plan. If you're, you know, off the top of your show, I talked about an early version of myself building a website for my friend Emily who owned a restaurant. That kind of use case really belongs in a free offering or, you know, in something like, or something like Netlify CMS, which is open source and free. But if you're, say, a larger organization and you have many users and teams of users even, and in many sites, you'd end up in a premium uh, package for forestry. That's a pretty nice onboarding experience because I can imagine there's a lot of people who have sites that they've built and then they just add a very rigid Jekyll or uh, Hugo-based set of posts. And then if they want to have a more actual CMS-like experience, a WordPress-like, CMS-like experience on top of that, then it's a pretty nice roadmap to getting to that CMS-like experience. And just just to close off, I'd I'd like to get your, your perspective about the market, like, um, how does the CMS market and the Jamstack evolve over the next couple of years? Do you have any predictions for the broader market development? Yeah, we're in the of the opinion that every website is becoming a Jamstack site. Every website that that a developer is touching, you know, I, I, like if you were to rebuild software engineering daily today, would what would you use? I'm just curious, Jeff. Uh, well, we actually did rebuild it. We have this thing called softwaredaily.com, which is actually like somebody in our community built a platform for us. You know, we've got, it's, it's a Vue.js website and we have mobile apps, but it's a Vue.js, Node.js, but this was started like three years ago. So it was kind of pre-Jamstack becoming the standard. If I was to completely rebuild today, it would be React. It would be probably using Next.js, and yeah, that's that's what I would build it off of. Yeah, well, you and every other developer on the planet is kind of thinking around this, you know, thinking similarly about, you know, our, about building websites where we kind of want to use JavaScript on the front end. We no longer want to build like PHP templates, templates like we used to do one day with WordPress. And we really care about the way, like the way that front end code's optimized. We want to serve from CDNs when we can, like, have it pre-rendered and servers and ser- serve from CDN. Yeah, I think you know we're just of the opinion that every developer is thinking this way, and we still want our structured content. So we want the content to be stored somewhere else where it makes sense. But uh, yeah, we want like the the benefits of the modern stack. So that's kind of where we see the the, the future going. Uh, obviously, it's it's not going to be every developer on the planet, but we just think. The majority of sites are going in this direction, which is why you're seeing projects like Netlify, Zite take off. Um, you're, you, you see the frameworks like, you know, we mentioned a bunch, but Gatsby, Next.js, Gridsum, Hugo, Jekyll, like these things all take off. And why you're seeing headless CMSs become a, become a real thing. It's because, okay, we need this decoupled nature now. So yeah, in terms of the, like market, that's where, that's where we see things going. It's just proceeding in this direction of, okay, People are going from monolithic applications to 
to the Jamstack, and and Mace, and a big driver is just like is just JavaScript being the the uh, language of choice for for web developers. Awesome. Well, thank you guys very much for joining the show. It's been a great conversation, and I've enjoyed talking to you. Okay. Thank you so much for having us, Jeff. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Thanks. <laughs>